Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, starting in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Civil rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer has been on my mind lately since I shared about her in my sermon last Sunday. And this week I found myself mesmerized reading one of her most famous speeches given in Harlem, New York in 1963. My name is Fannie Lou Hamer, she says, and I exist at 626 East Lafayette Street in Ruleville, Mississippi. The reason I say exist is because we're excluded from everything in Mississippi but the tombs and the graves. In Mississippi, it's not the land of the free and the home of the brave. It's called the land of the tree and the home of the grave. It was the 31st of August of 1962 that 18 of us traveled 26 miles to the county courthouse in Indianola, Mississippi to try to register to become first-class citizens. And it was the 31st of August in 1962 that I was fired for trying to become a first-class citizen. Now, Hamer goes on to tell about her horrific experiences over the past year. The bullets that were shot into her home. The numerous times she was arrested on purely bogus charges. And the beating she endured in a Mississippi jailhouse that left her with severe kidney damage, a blood clot behind one eye, and a permanent limp. Her testimony was broadcast on live television that night, and it it got people's attention. In fact, a recent documentary called Freedom Summer noted that President Lyndon B. Johnson wasn't afraid of Martin Luther King's testimony that day. He was afraid of Fannie Lou Hamer's testimony. Because her words were broadcasting the brutal truth of how bad things actually were in Mississippi. And so in an act of desperation, Johnson called an impromptu press conference just to get Hamer off the air, knowing that they would broadcast him as the President of the United States instead. 
Johnson's plan backfired as news outlets across the country went on to replay her testimony in case people hadn't seen it. And they played it over and over and over again after the press conference was over. Hamer's words about the abuse she experienced in trying to register to vote would go on to be heard all around the world. And they became a pivotal moment in the civil rights movement, especially in the state of Mississippi. But I love what she says at the end of this powerful and prophetic testimony. Hamer says, people always give me this long sob story, you know, about how change just takes time. And for 300 years, we've given them time. I've been tired for so long, she says, but I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we want change. Years later, these words, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired, would be etched on Hamer's tombstone in Ruleville, Mississippi. So when I read today's scripture reading from Galatians 6, Fannie Lou Hamer's words immediately came to mind almost as a rebuttal. Because we hear these words, do not become weary, written to the early church. And I just want to say, really? (laughs) Because I don't know about you all, but I'm so weary of being weary all the time right now. I mean, how could you be a human being paying attention in the world and not feel weary right now? The news headlines from the last month alone are so concerning, whether they be about war in Ukraine or global warming or gun violence or women's rights or LGBTQ rights, and the list goes on and on and on. I mean, how in the world are we supposed to not become weary in the midst of it all when it just feels like too much right now? Nadia Boltz-Weber compares what we are experiencing these days to an old apartment building that she once lived in. She says, I used to live in a very old apartment with super sketchy electrical wiring. And were I to audaciously assume that my hairdryer could run while I was listening to my stereo, I would find myself once again opening the gray metal fuse box next to the refrigerator and flipping the breaker. Because my apartment had been built at a time when there were no electric hair dryers and the system shut down when modernity asked too much of it. She says, I think of that fuse box a lot these days. Because I just do not think our psyches were developed to hold and to feel and to respond to everything that's coming at them right now. Every tragedy, every injustice, every sorrow and natural disaster happening to every human across the entire planet is coming to us in real time every minute of the day. The human heart and spirit were developed to be able to hold and feel and respond to tragedy, injustice, sorrow, or natural disaster that was happening 
in someone's village, perhaps. But maybe our emotional circuit breaker just keeps overloading because our hardware was built for an older time. And maybe she's right. Maybe it's why we're so sick and tired of being sick and tired all the time. Maybe it's why we are weary of being so weary when we turn on the news that we just don't even want to turn it on anymore. Our systems are fried. (laughs) Our emotional circuit breakers are overloaded and it's all just too much. And I don't know about you, but at times when I am already exhausted and overwhelmed, the instruction not to be (laughs) just doesn't really help me. (laughs) Kind of like when you're worried or anxious about something and someone says to you nonchalantly, oh, it's fine, just don't worry about it, it'll be okay. My brother loves to say that to me and I just look at him. Because when has someone telling us not to worry about something ever actually helped us not to worry? And I wonder if the same could be true about this text. When we are already so very weary. When we are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Why in the world would this instruction not to be weary make any sort of difference at all? Sometimes I think it's helpful for us to read scripture through a lens. We do this all the time. We each bring our own unique perspectives and understandings and experiences to the text. And I think one of the most helpful lenses through which we can read scripture is through the words of Jesus. And so this morning, what I'm going to invite us to do is to read these words of Galatians through the lens of Jesus' words in the Gospels. So for instance, we hear Jesus in Matthew say, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. While this text says that Jesus' yoke is easy, the original word here means kind. And as a carpenter himself, I think Jesus would have known about crafting yokes that were kind to the shoulders, enabling people or animals to carry heavy loads across their backs through the fields. This yoke that they carried was part of everyday life, as common as an automobile is to us today. And there were two basic kinds of yokes. There was a single one and a shared one. The single ones were helpful to carry heavy loads across one's shoulders on your own to help distribute the weight more evenly with buckets hanging from the poles on either side. But if you carried a single yoke, you would tire very easily and eventually you would have to stop because the weight became too much to carry on your own. But a shared yoke worked quite differently because it required twice as many carriers. And if they were well matched, they could work all day. 
Because with a shared yoke, one can rest a little while while the other works a little harder. They can take turns carrying the bulk of the load. And at the end of the day, they would be much less tired, even though they had carried double the weight. Because they had worked together to share the load. And so I can't help but wonder if this is what Jesus means when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Not here, don't become weary. Take this yoke, put it on your shoulders, and good luck with all that. But here, take this yoke with me. Take this yoke with one another. Because we are going to carry this load together. We are going to travel this road and journey together. After all, as Jesus points out in today's gospel reading that John Dixon read for us in Luke 10, he is sending out other laborers into the harvest. And I don't know about you, but so many times I am tempted to believe that I carry all of this load on my shoulders alone. But hearing about these other laborers reminds me that this work isn't all mine, and it isn't all yours, and it isn't even all of Highlands to do alone. In fact, perhaps the only way that we can ultimately reap at harvest time is by remembering not to become weary, because there are other laborers carrying the load alongside of us in this hard and holy work. I will name that some of the laborers who are coming into the harvest, who give me the most hope in these days, are our children. In the midst of an especially difficult week last week, I heard this from several of you. I saw you processing this as you were having conversations with your children. Like Nikki Babb, who after worship shared some of these words on Facebook. She said, because of the decision made by the Supreme Court last week, my 11 and 8-year-olds got a crash course today and why all the adults were crying in church on Sunday. After our explanation to them, I asked them if they had any questions. And after a silent moment, Annabelle asked, with her own voice choked with emotion, Mom, what can I do to help? Of all the questions I expected, I should have been more prepared for Annabelle's response. Because I find so much hope in the hearts of our children. They continually amaze me with their insight into society's shortcomings, and I am so moved by how they want to address them. For example, Oliver clearly sees the struggle with homelessness in our community to which he always responds that he wants to buy a home where our houseless neighbors can live any time they want. And for several years, Annabelle has wanted to be a veterinarian, but recently she became aware of the discrepancy of care between domestic animals, or pets, and all of the other animals. And so because of the lack of care for wildlife, she is now setting her sights on those more underrepresented critters. Nikki said, I am often taken aback at the observations our children make that we lose sight of with age. Friends, I and we are raising the future, she says. 
make no mistake that these children are coming to right the wrongs that our generation has yet to prevent. Because God is sending other laborers into the harvest with us. And we do not carry this burden alone, friends. Erin Beery shared similarly with me about her son Charlie this week. She said, the other night I was mindlessly scrolling through social media and a picture of a food bank I follow stopped in my scroll. It was totally empty. Charlie halfway glanced at what I was doing and asked, what is that? And I told him about what a food pantry is, but he said, well, they're not food there now. He sat there for a second and wondered, And then six-year-old Charlie said, Mom, let's go get bags and fill them up with food from our cabinets to take there. She said this was an easy example. It wasn't a great sacrifice, but Charlie often reminds me of how we make doing the work harder than it needs to be by worrying and deliberating on it. Sometimes we just need to do it. She shared another story about the time in godly play when she was teaching the children the story of the Good Samaritan. She said, now you know that Charlie is a zesty one. He's always moving, and I often find myself frustrated with him in my combination role of mom and teacher in these moments. But as I told the story that day about the person after person who passed by the man who was hurting on the side of the road, Charlie finally bolted up and yelled, why is no one stopping to help him? Ugh! Aaron says, I've heard that story one million times. You just wait until the end and you get the parable. That's what a neighbor is. That's the story. But Charlie jumped in early. He bolted up. And I think that's the lesson for me. You don't just sit and worry and wonder about what you should be doing or all the bad things that are happening. You just begin. You see, Charlie and Annabelle and Oliver and so many more of our children give me hope these days, friends. Because we are raising up other laborers who are going out into the harvest with us. And they're not just sitting around waiting for it. They are doing it. As Pastor Renee often tells us, they are not the church of the future. They are the church of today. So let's not give up, church. Let us not become weary. Because there are other laborers going into the harvest with us. There are those who have gone before us. And there are those whom God is raising up in these very moments. And when we do become weary, because yes, we will. Let's turn to God, whose yoke is easy and kind and whose burden is light. And we will find rest for our souls. And then, as Charlie reminds us, let's get up. (laughs) Let's jump in. Because even in the midst of this hard and holy work, we are not alone. 
and we will reap a harvest. God's kingdom will come. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer. This is our work. May it be so, church. Amen.